There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. You got to be a lot smarter than that if you're going to rickroll Joe Cermelli. I was like, not today, Rick Astley. Not today. I don't need big screen TVs and, and, and sports when I can watch people making asses of themselves trying to dock in front of a rowdy crowd. Tim will be back next week to give us a hack on how to properly put those on. And remove them with goo gone from all the shit that leads on your leader. I am going to ask you about Australian salmon. Feel good about that? Oh. Great. <laughs> wow. Good morning, degenerate anglers. Welcome to Bent, the fishing podcast that struggles to get a ride home from its favorite bar because it only has a three-star rating on Uber. I'm Joe Cermelli. I'm Miles Nolte, and and I'm I'm a little confused by that setup. Are, are you an Uber driver now? Are you, like, no, moonlighting no, no. as an Uber no. driver? No, 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 no. Dr- drivers can rate passengers, too. What? Did you know that? Yeah. Like if I get in it Homeboy's goes both car. Ways? Yes. Right? Like if I get in Homeboy's car, and for the record, this is this is totally hypothetical. But if I get in dude's car wearing like soaking wet waders and leave behind a trail of mud and like sand or bunker slime or something, and uh-huh. then tip him in, in ski ball tickets, which I've been known to do because I always have a lot of <laughs> I'm a very good ski ball player. Um that he can give me a bad rating so that future drivers don't make the mistake of picking me up. Really? It's a real thing. Yes. So yes. I can get blackballed mm-hmm. as a Uber passenger. Like I can, can. I can get it like cut out. Like don't pick this dude up. Totally, and it, you can also get blackballed as an Airbnb guest. Oh, that that one I, I know about. That one I, I was. Yeah, okay. See, I was. I was recently. I was recently. I'm proud. I was uh, just rated as a five star guest, which means I mm. didn't have a, a foam party or steal the linens good, or anything good for you. Um, yeah, but You're you real yeah. grown up. It pay, it pays to be nice to Uber drivers, um, and if you if you must leave a mess in the car, like at least compensate with a hefty tip, right? Yeah. Like real American money, because that's yep. the the beauty of capitalism. 
Uh, you can buy your way out of the consequences of almost any any bad behavior, any mistake. <laughs> a lesson I hope you're teaching to your children. But, uh, you know, setting aside ugly cultural side effects of uh, Western industrialization, we do live in a society, as you're pointing out, where crowdsourced ratings are growing increasingly important. Yep. Right? For example, the fact that we are the lowest rated of all the Meat Eater brand podcasts on Apple, <laughs> a lowly four and a half stars out of five, likely <sighs> means that we're, we're missing out on prospective listeners simply because a few people out there either don't understand or can't appreciate the value of satire. I'm proud of that. Like, sometimes you have to, like... <laughs> If you don't have a perfect rating, that means you've 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 ruffled some feathers, and I'm I'm about that. Um, that we have, but I, all those people who I I do have a a, a modest proposal for all of them. Um, nice. But nice. Gr- but groupthink uh, ranking of goods and services has become a huge part of how we choose what to consume. Yes. You know what I mean? Like we now have so many choices about what we eat, watch, listen to, uh, and buy that we're like just desperately searching for help to figure out what we should consume. And, yep. and I mean, we're all guilty of it. I do it. I not, especially like if I'm traveling, uh-huh. hotel and motel reviews, that's everything to me, right? Yep. The doctored photos of the room won't tell you about the blood on the carpet <laughs> and like the half eaten egg salad left in the mini fridge. Um, that's and just I get, a bonus. That's a snack. I, see, it depends on how you look at it. And that's, <laughs> that's the point. It's like that one guy's bad review. You might be right. like, I'd be happy if there was a and half this an is egg the salad. problem with all this. Right, <laughs> exactly. And I can also spend hours, literally hours, reading reviews on Amazon. And like, I'll go into a tailspin of indecision. Yes. Because even though, like, that one toaster oven I've been eyeing, it has 4,000 good reviews. You know, Alan in Iowa wrote a, like, a really compelling, angry missive about how his, his kitchen counter was set on fire. Totally. You know? And it's the one. Like, yeah. all of them can be good, but you read that one, you're like, oh, no. Yes. What if it sets my counter on fire too? I, I don't want to be like that. Alan. Yeah. I don't want to be. I know. <laughs> I know. And and the fact is you really shouldn't care what Alan in Iowa says, but you do, right? You shouldn't care, but you do. You know what you should care about though? You should care that we give 13 Fishing's Whippersnapper <laughs> Jerkbait a five out of five star review because we do. Uh, yeah, we do. And you should because... Uh, well, for one thing, they sponsor this show. They do, uh, but that but, jerkbait uh, is I, I, that is, I actually I'm going to set that part aside and say I've fish, been fishing it recently, and I like that jerkbait. So have I. It's it's just a badass, well tuned little bait that that it plays plays big on small water, right? Like it's it's mm. it's skinny. It darts. Mm-hmm. It slashes. It slashes and darts, <laughs> um, and it's become a favorite of mine, like for wet wading summer smallies. And it's going to hurt some trout this winter. I can't wait for that. I know it. Um, that's the kind of review I could just cut and paste that right into the Amazon review. And then the Alan might buy one. Exactly. Yeah. We can only hope. And <laughs> I hope you do that. But we, the point being, Amazon reviews are a dark, dark, deep pit. Yes. I both love and hate them. Because it feels like we're in the situation where everyone in the world has turned into the characters from High Fidelity. You guys are snob. No, we're not. No, seriously, you're totally elitist. You feel like the unappreciated scholars, so you shit on the people who know less than you. No. Oh, which is everybody. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's just sad. That's all. A couple weeks ago, we had Brad Leone on the show, and Joe asked him, which fish is the most overrated? Oh, eat? I did. Yes. Right? And 
to my disappointment, he responded, none of them, which was just a slightly lesser cop-out than his refusal to choose between KFC and Popeye's, <laughs> in my opinion. Give Brad a break. I like Brad. He's fun. I like but Brad be, a lot. But but to, uh, to be fair, to your point, right? That's that's how you survive public scrutiny and remain popular. Like you evade that's the big where we're questions screwing up. sometimes, right? Um, but even though, so maybe Brad's not willing to risk his reputation over like a, a knee jerk opinion. We are because we're not famous or popular. So no. I'll say anything to anybody. I don't give a shit, right? Um, and Miles, we've actually compiled for you like our desert island top three lists of the most underrated fish to eat and the most overrated fish to eat. Yes. We will step out on this limb and yes. put ourselves out there. So I'll start with, uh, with underrated for me, okay. Okay. My, my first one, and this isn't any order, just the first one I'm going with Escalar. We've talked mm. about Escalar in the past, but oh, I, I feel Escalar like this now. is an underappreciated fish. Yeah, because yep. like they they make it up. They it's white tuna. White tuna doesn't exist. There's no need nope. to dress it up under a fake name. It's so good on its own. Mm-hmm. The 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 colloquial term you see sometimes uses butterfish, which I yep. think is right because it's just rich and fatty and delicious pearl white meat. Mm. It's so good. Mm. Part of the reason I think that this fish gets hated on is if you look it up online. They're all, they're, they're a bunch of people. They're all these posts and things about how, oh, if you eat too much, you'll get gastrointestinal issues. People call it yeah. X-lax fish. I don't know, man. I've eaten a lot of Escalar, also known as Waldu Waldu in Hawaii, and I've never, ever had any problems. Well, like if you eat too much Taco Bell, it'll be the same problem. You know what I mean? But I, dude, I've eaten, I've eaten. That's right. How I've eaten pounds of the shit in one sitting. Like I, yes. I, one time I saw it in a local seafood place and bought like a whole steak and just whacked it up and ate it. I've never had any gastrointestinal issues from from eating it. So that's so. why this fits on this list. I think it's false. I think it gets, Don't believe yeah. the hype. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So number two for me, the second one anyway, bluegill. I and people. Mm. At least in the Midwest right now, are screaming about this and like bluegill aren't underappreciated. We love them. We eat all the time. Yes, some of you do, but a lot don't. A lot of people, if they're pan fishing, prefer to hold out for the crappie or the perch. I say give me the gills, right? Hmm. Because they're easy to catch. They're super available. You can you can limit out quickly. They're easy to scale which I think is nice. And and when you go out and catch a pile of little ones, you just you, you scale them, you gut them, you fry them whole, and it's damn good, man. Yeah. I, I think bluegill are underappreciated as a food fish. Yeah, but see, we have a different perspective on that because of that whole ease of catching thing. So I, I've eaten bluegill, right? And it is very good, no doubt. I think there's definitely a, a cultural thing here. And, and by and large, I think people in the Northeast don't eat bluegills. And to be honest, I have I have very little interest in it. And because I think part of what makes, this is for me, speaking for myself, makes a meal of fresh fish more enjoyable is the pursuit. You know, like you put in a long, hard day Mm. for those fluke or tuna or snakeheads or even big crappies. And you ever have somebody joke like, well, you know, I could go to the store and buy tuna for a lot cheaper than you just spent, but, you know, run offshore. But if you're an angler, that's all part of it. It's all like part of the pursuit. But bluegills are everywhere. And in my opinion, it's like, it's too easy. Like I could literally mm. drive down the street with two slices of Wonder Bread, yeah, and catch enough bluegills for a fish fry in twenty minutes every single day from April to November. Exactly. Now, in, like to me, if the only reason you fish is if to put food on the table, that's appealing. But it isn't for me. Like I'd rather use those bluegills to catch a flathead 
and then cook mm. the flathead because now those easy bluegills are becoming part of that bigger pursuit. I I see I see what you're saying, but that's why I think they're underrated because people take them for granted. Yeah, and, and, no, dude, and that's 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 why I, I've it, got there's on the no list. right or wrong. You're no. not wrong. It's just two no. different perspectives on it. To me, yeah, yeah. it's like that's so easy. They're swimming right there. Like, yeah. what's, it's going to take like ten minutes. Exactly. You know. So, which my third one is scorpion fish, and this is my sleeper. Ah, mm-hmm, this is the mm-hmm. one I'll admit. This is one with which I have the least experience, and and scorpion fish are they're really ugly if you've ever yeah. seen. Them. Like they're yeah. kind of scary looking, and they have these. Again, bad reputation. They have venom in their dorsal fins, and if you step on one, it can give you a nasty sting. And I have avoided them I, uh, up until recently. But not too long ago, I was I was back in Hawaii, and my cousins brought a big, like a whole big scorpion fish back to the house. And I will never shy away from those fish again. Yeah. It was so good. It was so good. And there, there are scorpion fish all over the world. You can find them in all the different oceans, all over the place and their meat it's like firm and it's mm-hmm. white and it's just delicious they, they they have it's not one of those bland white meat fish it's got interesting yeah. texture and flavor and they also have these massive heads they're kind of like they look like giant sculpin yeah and you can take those heads and this is for real i just did it they make the best fish stock i've ever eaten yeah so good i i've never eaten scorpion fish i i love to try it i just have not had um the chance. So I'll switch into my list here. And yep. I feel like I'm beating a dead horse, but my number one most underrated, take a guess. I think I know. I think I know where you're going. Snakehead. Snakehead. Right. It, it, it is really the only freshwater fish I genuinely get excited to eat because it's just so different from your standard walleye or catfish. Um, and I've never fed it to anyone, any skeptic that wasn't blown away by everything about it after they tried it. I, I, I have no personal experience, but I've, I've heard your gospel and I, I look forward <laughs> to crushing some fried snakes on your back porch with a double tall cocktail. I hope we do it someday soon. Cause I want to do we that. We will do that. We need to do that. Um, next up for me, right. Would be the Atlantic Bonito, which mm. is not to be confused with the Bonita, the A and the O. Okay. Very mm-hmm. important. Cause Bonita with the A, and that's just the common uh, Southern name for false albacore, right? Benito with the O are lumped in with the mackerels and tunas, and they they don't freeze well. They freeze like shit. But fresh Benito is outstanding. It makes little t- terrific. Little tuny? Yeah, yeah. It makes terrific sashimi, poke, ceviche. It's outstanding on the grill. And it's very flavorful without any of the like the really strong, oily taste of uh, a lot of the mackerels. Mm-hmm. I kind of liken it to, it's like Spanish mackerel meets yellowfin, kind mm-hmm. of. And they're also just a blast to catch on light tackle, just speed I, demons. I only got to do this once, but I, I can confirm when, when eating fresh bonito are damn good. I'm with yeah. you there. Yeah, and last and last, I'd say northern pike. Good and call. I fully understand that's that's not the case on parts of the Midwest and Canada. Um, where I live, though, and even I think kind of out west where you are, um, people just still want the walleyes and the perch and the pike kind of get overlooked. And Every I time. remember the, the first time I ever had it was in Saskatchewan, and I couldn't get over how good it was. Nope. I, I actually like it better, dare I say, than walleye. And I've had it a bunch since. I'd actually eat it more often locally, but anyone who watched uh, season one of B-Side Fishing knows my local pike water is full of PCBs and heavy metals. So I refrain from doing that. But Smart. when I get a chance from cleaner water, um, absolutely. So, you know. So, all right, underrated, overrated. 
you're up. Yep. Yep. I know. I, I know what I know what one of your overrated is. Yes, you do. Everybody knows. <laughs> uh, before I get there, I, I'm I'm with you on the pike, which yeah. which actually that totally tees me up for my first overrated fish. We don't really need to talk about this. We've already done it. It's walleye. <laughs> end of story. We can move on. We get it. Number two for me though, marlin. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. marlin are amazing sport fish. But the only marlin I've ever eaten that I thought was really good, like I look forward to, was smoked. And mm-hmm. we, it wasn't the fish, right? If it's yeah, it's the preparation. Yeah. So steak marlin, you can. I'd rather that fish be swimming around. It's just not yep. to me. It's just not worth it. My number three, and and this is probably the most overrated food fish on the planet, if you ask me. Salmon. <sighs> I do not understand why people (laughs) like salmon so much. I don't get it. It's fine, but I I can't, I cannot for the life of me understand why salmon is the most ubiquitous food fish on the planet. It's, it's just not that good. It's, it's, it's often mushy and it's either fishy or just totally bland. I, I'm sorry. I don't get the salmon thing. It's just, I don't get it. I, dude, I'm I'm right there with you on all counts here, right? Like, I don't get the walleye craze. I I'd never personally kill a marlin, period, right? Yeah. And um, while I like salmon sushi, I could frankly just give a shit about a cooked piece of salmon. Now, like mm-hmm. fresh caught in Alaska, sure, like that's like a treat, right? Yeah. Otherwise, good. like farmed or shipped, I just I'm just not interested. And similarly, I also find just trout extremely overrated. Over- and I'm sorry, I'm yes. sorry if I piss anyone off with that. But I just think trout are bland and completely uninteresting. And I'm talking about wild ones too, not just stockers, right? I'm talking about yeah. the wild ones too. It's edible and you, like you feel all cool cooking one, you know, on a campfire. It's yeah, I was about to say it's good if you're like out in the backcountry. Yeah, because then it's like out. it's like part of the little experience, like yeah. you know, but but will I ever be excited to eat a trout? No, I will not. Um, and finally, I find I find fluke and flounder very overrated, and so really? many of my Jersey people are cursing me out right now. It's good, it's very good, but it's so mild to me. It's one of those fish that just tastes like whatever you put on it. Yeah. Um, and as far as Northeast inshore fish go, I will take a tog or a black sea bass over a fluke any day of the week. So, all right, there you have it. Walleye and salmon, universally overrated. Uh, we might be the only people who pick scorpion fish and snakehead over salmon, although something tells me that our first guest, who we've had on this show before and is not afraid to express controversial opinions, Abby Schuster, might actually agree with us. So this week on Trivia, Miles is going to ask Abby about a kind of salmon that actually might be underrated, at least as a food fish. You gotta be highly skilled for these fucking shows. You understand that? Yes, I do understand. Are you well versed there? Are you very smart man? Yes, I am. All right. Joining us for our trivia game today, we have guide, captain, and owner of Kismet Outfitters on Martha's Vineyard, Abby Schuster. Abby, thanks for uh, for making some time for us. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right. So we brought you here to play a little trivia, and uh, I guess I feel sort of honor bound. To inform you that in our version of trivia, you you can't actually win anything, but you do risk losing some dignity. So you know, <laughs> lose lose. Yeah, <laughs> even much, at yeah. bar trivia, you win something. You win right? a round of beer, or a no. round of drinks, or something. Nothing. Nothing. You get nothing. No free drinks here. You get nothing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so the first time you and I crossed paths, I was working on an Atlantic salmon film project, and you were. You were like one of our go-to people to help tell the story of, of the younger generation of East Coast anglers who grew up without the chance to fish for Atlantics. 
And and I just that was like my first introduction to who you were and what you were all about. And and also the first time I really dug into that sad story, which is, yeah. is kind of a shame. It's not a hopeful one. No. And that's something, you know, we've touched on a little bit here in the past. And hopefully we'll be able to touch on the future with with some more positivity. And yeah. so just from from that experience, I know that you have a decent knowledge base when it comes to Atlantic salmon. And and regular listeners to this show will know that I probably spend a, an in maybe too much time talking about Pacific salmon. So instead of all that, <laughs> I am going to ask you about Australian salmon. You feel good about oh, that? Great. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. This, this, this sounds like it's going to be a fun question because the intro was kind of downer. I got to say, like, I, I had to like, turn it around. Downer, like I had to let's turn play it some around. Trivia and let, let me just say, the, like, the, you don't, you're not going to win anything. <laughs> nope, no, you're not going to win anything. No I drinks. met you over a sad, and, uh, horrible and story. Dying. But here's the good part: <laughs> Aussies love to have a good time, and Australian salmon are are not in trouble at all. So let's play. Oh, okay. These are all multiple choice. Okay, love it. All right. Which of the following is not a colloquial name for Australian salmon? A. Kahawai. B. Cocky salmon. C. New fish. D. Budgie salmon. Or E. Colonial salmon. Which one of those is not a name for Australian salmon? E. You're going with colonial salmon? Yeah. I'm sorry, that is incorrect. No. Really? No, no, it would be wow. D. The budgie salmon, because I, I totally that. made that up, because uh, that's a reference to the budgie smuggler, which is a very different slang term in Oz. Are, are either of you guys familiar with that one? Nope, but now Can't you kind of have to. You have, you have to tell now. Oh, now I, I will. Have to know. The, don't make me Urban Dictionary. It. I, I, you, you should. Uh, you don't even have to do that. So the budgie smuggler, if you, if you refer to that in Australia, you would be talking about a very small speedo. That's, oh, that's what oh, a budgie smuggler okay, is. Okay, that makes sense. Nice. And the, the term is actually so common that it was entered into the Oxford English Dictionary in 2016. Just so oh. there you go. Moving on. <laughs> you, got, you got a chance for redemption here. Can I just ask a question, one quick question? You can. Okay, just because I, I have to know. When we say Australian salmon, that's not like, they don't call salmon something else. Would you else wait for like, more you know questions how, and, and maybe okay, this will shit, all be revealed? Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Always always getting ahead of things, Joe. I'm a thinking so, man. I'm a thinking man. Question number two. Which species are Australian salmon most closely related to? Pacific salmon, Atlantic salmon, or threadfin salmon? A. Pacific salmon? Yeah. I'm sorry. You're, you're kind of on the street here. Uh, they got it guide there. Nobody knows these. Don't feel bad. I don't know what the hell he's talking Jesus. about. <laughs> to be fair, I knew that one, but but I'm weird. So let me clear this up. Neither Australian salmon or threadfin salmon are actually salmon, nor are the two of them even that closely related. They're just closer to each other than they are to actual salmonids. There are no actual native salmonids in Australia. This is uh this is one of those cases where like the the settlers who came from elsewhere went to Australia and 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 the, the colonists were trying to name fish. And they just mm. named them after fish they already recognized and reused old names, even though the two weren't related at all. Kind of okay, like that's why that's why they have ten million cod. Yeah, cod. Right? Yeah. They call everything a cod. Yeah, like, it's exactly. not a cod that's at true. all. Right. Wing cod. But we're going we're going long because I really like this category. So for once, we're going to have three questions. You still oh. have a chance to bring it back. God, I oh hope. God. Like, get them all, all right. wrong. I, I, be, I believe in you here. I believe in you. <laughs> Jesus, right. I'm like I'm nervous. <laughs> you, you got this. All right. Last question. 
Australian salmon are of particular interest to fisheries biologists because they seem to be successfully adapting their diet as, as water temperatures warm around Australia from climate change and the food sources shift. So now they feed almost exclusively on pelagic bait fish like pilchards, scad, and anchovies, right? They're just, they're just eating those. But before climate change, they used to have a very different diet. What did they previously eat? A, octopuses, B, eels, C, Vegemite, or D, squid? Uh, Vegemite. I would say B. Going with eels? Yeah. It is just not your day. I'm very <laughs> sorry okay, to tell squid, you that. Squid, squid. Yeah, 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 squid. Really squid. I, I, knew, I knew it all. I knew you'd bring it along. <laughs> I just like to come in hot at the end. <laughs> <laughs> you turned it around. You really, you really redeemed yourself on that one, and uh, and we appreciate you uh, debasing yourself enough to. That was to, a tough. That was a tough one, though. That was tough. That was tough. That was tough. That's it was far tough. away. I've never I know. Even been there. I know. We. I believe me. I. I. I asked all those questions because I already know you're an expert on Atlantic salmon, so I knew I couldn't pull anything over on that. I had, <laughs> I had to go a different direction. Abby, thanks yeah. so much. We really appreciate you taking time. Thank you. Have you ever eaten Australian salmon? No, I've never. I've never caught one. I've never held one. I've never seen one. Right. Uh, I've read about them, in, and I've, I know people who catch them. And it seems like they're kind of they're like the blue fish of Australia. People think gotcha. they're oily and they're only gotcha. good smoked, right? But I don't have any personal experience to draw from. Right, right, and and you can't pass judgment on any fish without the PE, as we call it in media. Personal yeah. experience. Nope, no, no PE. You know, PE. Uh, like I said, I dude, I didn't think pike would be good until somebody fed it to me. And that yeah. experience allowed me to get excited about having fried pike when I was out in Wisconsin last summer. I knew what I was in for. And um, our next guest cooked it for me. Mm. Tim Landwehr, who runs Tightline's Fly Fishing Company. Um, Tim showed me some incredible smallmouth fishing on the Menominee River. And uh, this week, he's got a tackle hack that might help you out when it comes to finesse fishing on the surface in the heat of summer. I'm getting hacked. We're coming from inside the city. Hide the planet! Welcome to Tackle Hacks, where we call up uh, somebody who knows a lot more about fishing than we do to pass along some uh, some knowledge, some tip information, something that will make you a better angler. And today we've got my buddy Tim Land. We're on the phone from Tightline's Fly Fishing Company up in Green Bay. What's going on, man? Not much. How you doing, Joe? I'm doing great. I'm going to be better when this is done because I'm going to know something I didn't know before and awesome. there, there, thereby be able to fish better. So excited right. for the learning. Just, just <laughs> all the learning. What do you got learning. for us? So, I mean, you're, you, you specialize in all kinds of things, but you do a lot of smallmouth, uh, yeah. predominantly fly. Um, make, us, make us better long rod anglers, for people who call it long rodding. You just drop pearls of wisdom <laughs> right now, pearls of wisdom on you, fellas. Well, one of the things that we see right now, once we roll into our July and August time on the river, the river drops out. We lose all the water flow. And we have to get a little bit more technical, a little bit more finesse, especially with our top water stuff. And what we see an awful lot of times when we go to darker colored patterns, blacks, olives, they blend perfectly into the river. So you can't see them. And the bites can be very, very small. So what I always do, my hat tackle hack, is I buy the cheapest fluorescent orange fingernail polish that I can find. And what I'll do is I'll just keep that in my boat bag and I'll paint the top of a popper or the top of a wiggly pattern with just that. Ah. Or 
if you guys remember the old pulsa strike indicators with the adhesive the adhesive back oh yeah 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 yeah, i still use like crazy yeah they're they're awesome we we still sell them in the shop they're 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 great i cut those in half and that adhesive is good enough on those as you know because you can't get the shit off your leader after you put them on there (laughs) but you put that on the back of a popping bug or a wiggly and now your clients can see it and you can see it so those two little combination things in my boat bag are there all the time for low water season. That's a great tip, man. Yeah. Why do I feel like I'm the only one that doesn't like the pulse? You guys were like, oh, love those. And I was like, they used to twist my line like crazy. I must have put them on wrong or something. I think that was a you problem, Joe. Yeah, it probably was. I think it's was. you, Joe. I think it's you. Tim will be back <laughs> next week to give us a hack on how to properly put those on. <laughs> <laughs> and remove them with goo gone from all the shit that leaves on your leader. That was presented as a fly-specific hack, mm-hmm. but I can see that working with conventional too. Sure. Right? Contrary to popular opinion, midsummer fish will still eat on top sometimes. Right. Not as much, but but sometimes you, you have to get more subtle and smaller with your presentations. You can't just throw out the big stuff and like have a big weight coming back. You got to go slow and you got to go small. And, and that's where his, his hack really helps out. In my experience, that's true at least for all river fish, from trout to bass, even musky, right? If you go super slow and downsize your baits, you might get blown up on top. Tim Tim knows what he's talking about. Oh, I can I can attest to Tim's prowess, man. His guide service and shop have uh, five well-deserved stars on Google reviews. <laughs> good for so, him. Must be good. Dude obviously knows his stuff. Um, but we're about to find out which one of us knows his stuff in this week's battle for Phil's best review. It's time for Fish News. Fish News! That escalated quickly. Before we hit news, we have a little housekeeping. A couple weeks ago, I covered a news story about people painting turtles. And (laughs) a shocking number of you wrote in to tell me all the reasons why a person might feel compelled to paint a turtle shell. And so... I feel like I have to I have to give voice to some of these because I was I was you so dumbstruck. <laughs> I, I have to. Ryan Knapp wrote, Snapping turtles get run over by cars all the time. They migrate to find places to lay their eggs in sandy banks, then make their way back to water. Their dark shells are hard to see against pavement. Hence traffic cone orange. Not supporting it, but it's pretty obvious how someone could think they were being altruistic. So I missed the obvious one there. Uh, yeah. So then we got one from listener Cody Cantrell, uh, who apparently comes from a long line of turtle painters, <laughs> because he wrote a heartwarming tale about how he and his grandma used to enjoy watching three-toed box turtles on their walks together, and how they would mark the shells with nail polish so they could distinguish and better get to know their local turtles. Um His town also has a spring festival that involves a wild turtle race for kids, and he has painted the shells of his kids' racing turtles in various themes. So we Mm -hmm. got that one, too. Yeah, and I felt felt a little like a jerk when I read that because it was was so heartwarming. Yeah. Uh, I was was wrong on at least some level. I I still don't agree with turtle painting, but I, I have been educated. You all have educated me on how it might happen with good intention. Yeah, yeah, and like and like the mea culpa is all fine and good, but several other listeners were disappointed in that story for a completely different reason. Okay, yes. so Evan Thread wrote, 
Both Miles and Joe spent several minutes discussing the subject without making one single Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles reference. They are turtles who are named after famous painters, semicolon. The jokes wrote themselves. <laughs> I feel that this was a blatant oversight and a mistake that you both should have avoided. I am severely disappointed and my day is ruined. <laughs> I do believe this is something uh, I can look past moving forward, though it may take some time. Man, that one hurt. Mm. That one yeah. hurt, Evan. Yep. And and it <laughs> struck a nerve because as soon as I read it, I went, oh, we yep. blew it. Yep. And so we do apologize uh, and and for that and whatever else. And to make up for it, I think this might help, Evan. Here's, here's a final email from Aaron Laterra, who has the whole thing figured out. And he wrote, Here's my theory on the turtle that was painted from last week's fish news. The turtle was painted orange to look like the legendary Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Michelangelo. The perpetrator of this was none other than Vanilla Ice. In a moment of nostalgic <laughs> passion, he tagged the turtle and sang a little song as he worked. <sighs> go, Ninja. Go, Ninja. Go, 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 Ninja. Oh, this is how the secret of the ooze comes full circle game set match so, there you have it there it is uh man but who who knew miles stupid turtle painting story would elicit such rancor um <laughs> it was I. a slow it was a slow news week people okay but uh, better news uh this is not a slow news week so prepare yourselves and as a reminder this is a competition and normally, Miles and I do not know which news stories the other guy is bringing to the table. But full disclosure, because we're about transparency here, this week we do know at yeah. least most of them, okay? Because Miles has been cooking up a monster story, um, and he knows I've been cooking up a monster story in the makeshift shed I built in the backyard, and I had just enough Robitussin left to have it ready for today. So uh, even though there's uh, not not much element of surprise between us, our... Uh, illustrious audio engineer phil will still be judging us perhaps commenting on who delivered their news with more pep flair and zing now and and since joe's robo tripping and has been for days <laughs> I, I give the edge there but we'll see so you you are up first this week yes i am i am so i i am normally up first this would be my week to go up first but i am seeding oh. the leadoff position to you because i as you mentioned i've been working on a big story so i only have one because it took a lot of time Okay. And so I think I think you should go first, and then I'll give my story, and then you can close it. Fair, out. fair, and and a lot of you already know where we're going here. And I got to tell you, I thought that the outcry from listeners for for Miles and I to use our journalistic talents to uncover the truth about Subway Tuna was massive. No, nothing. nothing. No, nothing. that was nothing. Subway Tuna ain't got shit on trout addicted to meth. Um, the meth trout, man. In, in what is creeping in on one year of bent, I, we have never had a link sent to us as much as this link was sent. It's still being sent. I guarantee you I have five new DMs right now yes. with links to the story, and it dropped over a week ago. Um, I've, got, I've got friends from high school who I haven't talked to in years <laughs> sending me this exactly. story. Seriously. <laughs> like my great aunt. Like I'm like, what? Where'd this come? I didn't even get a birthday card, but I got the trout meth. <laughs> Um, you know, and, and look, and I'll be honest, I did not click on the link for the first two days of getting it because I read the headline trout could become meth addicts. And I said, yeah, nice try. Like you got to be a lot smarter than that. If you're going to Rick roll Joe Cermelli, I was like, not today, Rick Astley, not today, <laughs> but a few days 
And 4,000 plus links later, I bit. So this is a real story. It has popped up on uh, every news source in the world, I think, from yeah. Al Jazeera to your kids' like weekly Little League news email. Um, and all the stories are pretty much saying the same thing. So for this, I'm going with the National Geographic version. And uh, their headline was, Trout Can Become Addicted to Meth. Here's why that's so scary. So here's the gist. You do your meth on your own time privately, right? And then you pee and poop, and there's still traces of meth in your excrement. And that goes to the wastewater treatment facility. And while these facilities are pretty good at removing contaminants from the wastewater before it returns to the river, they don't apparently do a great job with controlled substances, which means tiny amounts of that meth are ending up in the water flowing downstream from the treatment facility. Now, it's important to note that this doesn't just happen with meth, right? Like if you take birth control pills, do heroin, antidepressants, cocaine, trace elements of all those substances can end up in the water this way. And you might be saying, yeah, but can enough really get in the water to make a difference? So according to Pavel Horky, a behavioral ecologist from the Czech University of Life Sciences in Prague, they might. And the article points out that while meth use has it's obviously always been a huge problem um, in Eastern Europe and the U.S. It's gotten worse since the pandemic, okay? So Hokey proposed that these trace elements in the water could essentially make trout meth addicts, which could make them lethargic, give them withdrawal symptoms, and make it more difficult for them to find food and reproduce. So Horky and his team conducted a lab study. And here's what they did. They dosed 60 captive-bred brown trout with methamphetamine-laced water for two months, while keeping another group of 60 control trout in a drug-free tank. And the researchers ensured that the drug levels matched the meth levels other researchers have documented just downstream of wastewater treatment plants in Czechia and Slovakia. And in the first few days after being removed from the uh, meth-laced tank, the fish moved around less, which the team interpreted as stress from drug withdrawal. Analysis of their brain tissue showed that the fish that moved less had the most methamphetamine in their brains. The researchers also gave the trout from both groups a choice to enter one of two streams of water, one with methamphetamine, one without. The meth-exposed trout preferred to swim in the meth-laced water, particularly in the four days after their drug supply stopped. Uh, over time, the study's trout preference for methamphetamine declined to match those of the control fish, a clear sign of addiction withdrawal. Now, the article mentions uh, a few other similar studies, one that found traces of cocaine in certain European rivers. They suggested that might interfere with the reproduction of endangered eels. In Canada, uh, there was they did a study where they exposed young male fathead minnows to synthetic estrogen from contraceptive pills and found that when they did that, they didn't grow testes but produced eggs instead. But I think uh, the most important thing to understand with all these studies, including the meth trout, is that all these things are, are documented in controlled lab settings, right? But nobody has hard evidence about any of these substances having adverse effects in the wild, at least not yet. Because if you think about it, right, that's that's a pretty hard study because at minimum, right off the bat, you have to factor in dilution. You know what I mean? Like a mm -hmm. sample taken at the outflow of the water treatment plant is going to read different than one taken five miles downstream. You have to factor in rain, high water flows, low water flows. 
So they've they've proved that this could be a problem and the fish can be effective, which is real and fascinating. But I think so many people sent this because, which is what a great headline does, right? It yeah. leads you to believe just a river of of meth addicted trout has been discovered, and it has not. Uh, but if it, I mean that would because that would be something else, you know what I mean? Like I I assume the fish would have too few teeth to take a shot at a streamer of crayfish. You know what I mean? Opting only for squirmy wormies, or they just they'd be so indecisive and confused they they just have no idea what they wanted to eat. Uh, yeah, give me Mozart. a quesadilla, the steak and cheese to eat only with cheese and steak only. We don't have them either. You don't have the asters. I don't think they'd be very hungry, <laughs> or that, or they wouldn't I, be hungry. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I know enough about tweakers to know that food's not not high on the list of needs. <laughs> well, if it was marijuana getting into the water, it'd be a completely different totally story. Different. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but look, it, it is a fascinating study. And the hope um, is that these findings will push lawmakers to insist that wastewater treatment facilities alter their filtering and, and cleaning processes to, to catch these substances, which the story suggests is possible. Like that, that can be done. It's just that they're not really factoring that. They're not really doing that. And it would mean investing in some new technology um, and revamped water testing methods, but they're not really there yet. So uh, appreciate it, 4,000. I wish I could send all 4,000 of you stickers for that one. I, you deserve it. But here's my question. Yeah. Of those 4,000, how many read more than the headline? I, and that's, you know, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to say it to, to, to those of you out there who did send it to us, which we do appreciate, but I'm wondering, did you just see meth and trout and go like, you know who I got to send this to? Of course they did. Come, Miles, this is the world we live in, digital media. Everything's a, a photo and a headline. That's what matters these it days It was a rhetorical question. But my point was that, like, I hope that – read the articles. Yeah. I, I, take five minutes. Read the articles because I did find this one to be fascinating. I read it several is. of them. And I think your takeaway was exactly spot on the same thing I would hit on, which is that we've known for a long time there are a ton of studies that show we are getting traces of all kinds of different pharmaceuticals over the counter and illicit that are going into the water, making it through wastewater treatment. This is not news. We've known about this for a long time. And wastewater treatment plants are starting to have, they're, they're getting pressure to have to look at those contaminants. Yep. As they things have to that care, they need yeah. to get rid of, just like they do E. coli yep. and others, right? So that's great. I hope that pressure increases, and I hope we start making those changes. But the only difference in this study is that it was about meth. Yeah, like no one cares about the Tylenol well, because one. Me the meth is a po meth is pop culture, man. I hate to I say that, but like it meth is. is so much more pop culturey than um, synthetic estrogen. Like that's not a T-shirt, you know what I mean? There's there's there's, there's no mini the series about bad that. Series about exactly. Estrogen. There's no Breaking Bad for Tylenol. So, no, um, and and listen, we're not com we're not coming down, but th nope. this is a good point. I thought the same thing. I'm like, you guys are reading the headlines, seeing brown trout, meth, and sending. But if you read it, it's it's very different. So if you didn't read it, we now just kind of read it for you. So you got the you got the whole picture <laughs> that's anyway. That's maybe that's why they sent us. Like we don't want to. Read yeah, this article. can you tell us what this is all about? Because Joe I'm just going to assume there's a bunch of cracked out trout, uh, you know, likely in Delaware. I don't know who uh. knows. You know what I mean? <laughs> so there you all go. Right. Yeah. 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 So trout aren't actually meth addicts. That's the takeaway for those of you who sent that. That's not true.
O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids with over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. The one I'm going to hit, I this isn't the newest in new for news, right? It's the story is a couple weeks old, but Joe and I talked about it when it first broke and I intentionally held off because I wanted to give this one a little breathing room. Like our, we were hoping yep. that, that the flames of internet fury might subside a little and calm down and that, and, and, and more importantly, we were hoping that more information would come out, but neither of those things have, has really happened yet. We're so, still going, <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. still going for it. So I, it, rather than, than waiting on an outcome that's probably not going to occur, I'm just going to try to present the situation as clearly and accurately as I can, given what I know, and then follow that up with my own personal take and reasoning behind my opinions. You can draw your own conclusions on this one. Plenty of people already have. All right. On June 29th, a guy by the name of Josh Jorgensen uploaded a video to his YouTube channel titled, Biggest tarpon ever caught. And as is the case with most YouTube titles, this one didn't skimp on all caps lettering or multiple exclamation points. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Jorgensen runs a fishing YouTube channel called Black Tip H, which you've probably heard of since it has nearly three and a half million subscribers, making it among the most watched fishing channels on the internet, anywhere in the world. Jorgensen is based in Florida, and his content focuses on large inshore saltwater species, primarily Goliath grouper and sharks, often being fought on rod and reel by extremely muscle-bound men and also sometimes women. I, I feel like I have to begin this by admitting my own personal biases. This, this isn't the kind of fishing that I personally want to watch. I, I, find, I find his content gimmicky, one-dimensional, and lacking in substance. Okay, that's my personal opinion. Get that out of the way. That said, he has a much bigger audience than we do, so what he does Fair. obviously resonates with a lot of people which is part of the reason why this video has struck such a chord uh, with, with opposing factions within the fishing community. The video recounts Jorgensen's recent trip to Bahia Solano on the remote Pacific coast of Colombia. It starts with a short travel narrative where Jorgensen explains some shock at a local restaurant that is serving cow tongue. And, and I'm sorry, but I gotta say this <laughs> dude needs to dig a little deeper into his local Floridian cuisine. Cause there, there's, Plenty of good lingua tacos in Florida. Man. I was going to say, dude, if, you, if you go to a taco shop and they don't yeah. have tongue, or I even dare say tripe sometime, I'm like, yeah. place ain't legit. Place yeah. ain't legit. I, I don't know if you watched that video, but he has this whole beat and being like, I can't believe they serve tongue. Do you eat tongue? Like, dude, it's... Anyway. Go to any New York deli, bro. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's across many cultures. Jewish, Mexican, it's there. That would, it's that would again, we know my biases, but that, that, partic that bugged me a little. Anyway, so the video does the standard... Travel narrative, montage, and they get to a remote lodge. But they pretty quickly jump into the fishing part, where Jorgensen hooks and lands his first ever rooster fish. Normally, a feat like that would be celebrated in YouTube fishing videos. Like it would, There'd be buildup, there'd be excitement, but they move through his first rooster fish pretty quick. A few minutes later, his bait gets blown up by a mystery fish. He reels down on the circle hook, and a massive tarpon erupts out of the water. And of course, after that, all hell breaks loose. Most of the video consists of Jorgensen and, and two others holding onto a stout spinning rod flexed over the rail of the boat and, and a real dumping line. Jorgensen decided to hand the rod off to a friend mid-battle because a recent UTV accident left him with a back injury, and fighting this massive tarpon clearly caused him pain. They start off estimating the fish around 150 pounds, but as they fight it and see more of it, their estimates of its size continue to grow. After an hour fight, they get the fish boatside. Jorgensen puts one arm up through the fish's gill plate, reached his other arm into the fish's mouth, locked hands, and began to lift the tarpon over the gunwale. Mates and friends gathered to help, and they eventually hoisted the giant fish into the boat, took some measurements, posed for photos, and then threw the fish over the side back into the ocean. After releasing the fish, they estimated that it weighed 225 to 250 pounds. Back at the lodge, they punched the measurements into a tarpon weight calculator available on the Bonefish and Tarpon Trust website, which spit out an estimated weight of 312 pounds. The current IGFA world record tarpon weighed 286 pounds, 9 ounces. So mm -hmm. if that's correct, this fish would have well surpassed it. Jorgensen's video then, then goes into interviews, one with an experienced trophy tarpon captain, 
the other with a saltwater fish taxidermist who's created over a thousand tarpon mounds. Both individuals verified that they believe this fish to have been over 300 pounds after looking at photos and video. Jorgensen closes his YouTube video with a monologue that stops short of admitting that he would have kept the fish had he known it was a record. He kind of hints at it, but he doesn't come mm-hmm. out and say it. Mm-hmm. He then says, quote, but I'm glad we let that fish go. It's still out there, still swimming around. It always feels really good. And mm-hmm. now we can cue the controversy. All right. Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. one has some layers. The main reason for the outrage has to do with the handling of the fish. One aspect of the story that is not opinion are the well-researched effects of handling and release on adult tarpon. Adult tarpon, particularly like the really big ones, like this one, often suffer significant injury when removed from the water. That's why Florida prohibits anglers from lifting fish over 40 inches out of the water at all. Additionally, all tarpon release best practices recommend reviving a fish boatside yep. before you gotta hang release. On to it. You gotta hang on to it for a you while. You got it. Yeah. Especially after a long fight, which did not happen in this particular case. So, Bottom line, Jorgensen's decisions to remove that fish from the water and then dump it back overboard without reviving it, they do go against the prevailing science-based recommendations for tarpon handling. I have to put a caveat on that. Everything he did is completely legal in Colombia where he was fishing. He broke no laws at all. Yep. Okay? That's another point that you just can't argue. That's a fact. The truth is, though, no one knows for certain what happened to that fish. You got all these very vocal folks in the angling community that are making definitive claims. That fish died. That's a dead fish. Yeah. And then you got Jorgensen and his supporters repeatedly countering, the fish is fine. It, that, I guarantee that fish is fine. It never, it never goes belly up in the video. It, it, it disappeared. And I'm sorry, but the fact is that we don't know. All we have our belief and conjecture. That's it. Anybody saying they know the fate of that fish is just being hyperbolic. All right. They're just pretending to know something they can't know. All right. But having said all that, let's break down a couple more elements of the story. First, the record. So everybody understands the minute that Jorgensen chose to hand his rod off to another angler, he lost any chance. The record's gone. Done. Yep. IGFA rules prohibit multiple anglers from even touching the rod or the reel. All right, so even even if he had kept the fish and gotten certified weight, it would not have officially broken the record, period. Second, another theme that keeps popping up on the, the social media sniping around this fish is the status of tarpon in the Pacific Ocean. Tarpon are native to the Atlantic, not the Pacific. But in the last decade or so, more and more tarpon are being caught on the Pacific side of Central America and Northern South America. The prevailing hypothesis claims that tarpon have started migrating through the Panama Canal and are now establishing new populations in the Pacific. In the video, Jorgensen and his local guide refer to the fish as an invasive species. As you might imagine, the lack of clarity on how this fish got to these waters and if it's quote-unquote natural has fueled so many keyboard artillery barrages. Those in support of Jorgensen claim, doesn't matter how he handled the fish because it's invasive species. Mm. Those opposed to him counter mm-hmm. that if a fish migrated to a new habitat on its own, it's not invasive. 
I've even seen people claiming that tarpon are actually native to the Pacific. We just didn't know it, but I, I actually looked. I couldn't find any cre- credible evidence to support that claim, so that is questionable See, to me, at best. To me, that, that's all irrelevant. Like Getting into that yes. side of the argument in the case of this is stupid. Like, but because so much of it is going on. I understand that, but like all all of those kind of arguments to me are are deflecting from the biggest problem, which we'll close on, which just like the improper handling of like this could have been this could have been done respectfully. Could have been avoided. Could have been totally and avoided. Here's the thing, man. We don't know where that population of fish came from exactly. People haven't figured that out yet. They're just starting to look into it. I, I find this to be a highly interesting topic, right? Yeah. And I, I hope we get to cover this in another segment that has nothing to do with a record or a controversy or a YouTube video. Cause I'd really like to know, right? I, I, but exactly as you're saying, Joe, I don't think it's pertinent in this case. It, not it's not. All. And I'll just, I'll just add that. I remember, I mean, this has got to be going back 10 years. Somebody I knew who fished down there was like telling me like, man, there's some tarpon showing up down there. And like, I remember being fascinated by it then, but yeah. you're right. In this case, it's, it's very interesting the how or why they're there is irrelevant in this story. The, the only way that would have met, like the way I could see it mattering is if, and this didn't happen, but if Jorgensen had kept the fish, I then I could see the invasive claim coming into play. Yeah. And I could see how that would fit here, but he didn't. Right. He released it. He just did it without proper handling. Right. So I, I feel like, just like you said, it doesn't matter. Finally, of course, and I have to point this out, we wander into the whole, you know, one side says, you're just a bunch of whiny, jealous haters against the other side saying, you're just a bunch of ignorant fish-killing googans, and there's feces being flung around in the form of comments. and <laughs> Salt life stickers. God, and I find it just all completely counterproductive, right? And this is more personal opinion, but I, I think comment sections should just be eliminated from the internet because that is where the worst elements of human nature get mainlined with steroids. Agree. Personal opinion. Agree. Nope. All right. Here's what I think about this whole thing. And then Joe, you can tell me where you agree or disagree, but yep. Here's what I think went down. This is me projecting. Jorgensen didn't know he had a record tarpon on his hands. If he had, he might've made some different choices. He probably wouldn't have passed the route off though. Like, like we said, he had a serious injury, so he might have been ultimately forced to do that anyway. I think, had he known how big it really was, I think he would have just kept the fish. And mm. considering these circumstances, had he done that, the result would be a lot less controversy. Had he decided to say, like, hey, this is a potential record fish. I want to keep it and mount it, even if it's not an official record. I think most people would have understood that. I can't know his mind, right? I wasn't sure. there. Sure. But if he knew he wasn't planning to keep that fish, I wish he would have handled it according to best practices to reduce fish mortality, right? They were they were fishing out of an offshore boat. I think that's an important point to mention. So it's got really high gunnels. So it would have made it difficult to do those best practices, but not impossible. Right. Someone could have gotten in the water with the fish to take measurements and, and help pose it for photos and video. You could have done that. The problematic aspects of the fish handling are meaningful, at least for me, because of Jorgensen's huge platform. We're not just talking about one individual fish that may or may not be invasive, right? I get that that doesn't really matter. But millions of people follow and look up to this guy. And like it or not, what he does gets mirrored 
by other anglers. And to me, that's why it matters. Okay. We all make mistakes and <laughs> we all have a tendency to lose our heads when big fish are involved. I cannot imagine that I would have had anything near complete clarity of mind with a 300 pound tarpon on the line, like freaking sure. out both side. I, I would lose my shit. So I can understand and forgive the mistakes. I really can. My, my biggest complaint with how Jorgensen handled this situation is that he hasn't been willing to admit that he made any mistakes. Mm -hmm. If he were now to simply come out and say, Hey, I didn't know we had, and I had so much excitement and adrenaline when we landed the fish. I wasn't thinking through all the potential implications. If I could do it again, I would do it differently in these ways for these reasons. If he would come out and make a statement to that effect, I think we could squash this whole thing. I think it would be over. But regardless of what he says or does, I think that the damage being done to the fishing community through this backbiting and this sniping and this drawing of lines and the sowing of hate around this incident is so much more destructive than one dead fish. And, and that's the real tragedy that I see in all this situation is the way that it's playing out. See, I see another level of, of tragedy and it's like a cynical one, but I, I can't, I can't get my head around it. Like this is my interpretation. Here's what I think happened. Obviously they weren't tarpon fishing. That was a surprise fish. Yeah. We know that they were doing something different. Right. But I also think this, this sort of speaks to just fishing content in general now, my guess is, as a, as a guy who's made a few videos in his day, right? This this would be my guess. This goes down. They hook this fish. They're filming this because that's what he does, right? Things are not handled properly in the heat of the moment. You're not thinking straight. You have this huge fish. You just it's, it's very easy to get in that mentality of get it on camera, get it, get it, get it, get it, get it, and we'll figure it out later, right? Yep. It was not handled well. Things were done wrong. But then now, because the world you live in is based around your views, that is your world. That is what you do. You're sitting on this piece of footage and you have two choices. You could not post that because probably deep down inside, you know, you didn't handle that well. And that's not, you know, setting a good example for your fans. Or it's like, I'm not going to miss out on millions of views for this. And I think that's the route a lot of people take and why we end up seeing so many similar examples of poor fish handling and not best practices because so many people, you don't even have to be black tip H with three plus million followers. I just think we see that all the time. Like the, the clicks and the likes and the views matter more than anything to too many people. Yeah. I mean, that's, that goes without saying, right? I, you know, I agree with you there. First of all, if you or I had been in this situation, I would like to think we would have had a clear enough head to to not handle it this way, right? Like I've, I, dude, I've dealt with two hundred pound tarpon um, in Costa Rica, in fact, on the eastern side, and you you fight him to death, and those guys, like we held that, I couldn't hold it anymore because I was dead, but like that guide cradled that fish and idled, and I mean, we stayed with it for 45 minutes until it kicked, and then he still followed it on the surface for a while to make sure it didn't turn or anything and, and went back. So I, I would like to think that, but if you made a genuine mistake, like you knew, like, this, I didn't do that right, it was a mistake. It wasn't necessarily malicious, it was just a mistake. Right. It's like you have an obligation, you're setting an example as a media person, as somebody in the spotlight that has fans and, you know, is an advocate of this sport. 
you make that call, but that doesn't get you the views. So I think there's a lot of that wrapped up in this too, sadly. I think you're right. I would like to think, well, I'd like to think we would handle it differently, but I I could see, listen, I've never faced a 300-pound tarpon. I could see myself losing my shit when I didn't expect one, right? Yep. I could see my, I don't know that I would have done what he did, but let's just, when, for the sake of argument, it happened to you or me, or we're filming together, that happens. I don't know that I would recommend my, I don't think my position would be we should not show this. I think right. my position would be we should show this and sure. talk about all the things we did wrong here. Yeah. And that's why. another way to take it. Yeah. That would be, I think, a more productive way to go about dealing with this stuff. To be like, hey, we 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 got this crazy video. We want the engagement. We want this. But we also, we screwed up. And here's how and here's why. I, I also think in terms of him not admitting wrong, I'm sure you've seen this before too, where for some people it's you, 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 you want something so bad. You want the glory of something so bad that you can literally talk yourself out of wrongdoing so much that it just becomes the truth to you. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you just, you just say it so much to yourself that then it just, you become convinced of it. But I don't, I don't see how anybody could have posted this and not where we, how many videos have we had with the same thing? It's like, how could somebody post that and not think people were going to flip shit? Like, <laughs> You know, he knew, he, he knew. knew, he knew. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm sure a bunch of you guys have seen that. There's our, our little take on that. That was that was heavy. We've had we've had meth, and now that I feel I feel a little dumb, but I also feel like it's not a bad idea to lighten the mood, uh, before we close out here. That's your only story today, but that was a That's lot of I research. Got. That was a lot of research. So I'll I'll wrap things up quickly this week. Um, let's all we'll all simmer down, we'll stop, we'll stop fighting and and doing meth. And we'll take a take a dive into my favorite file, which is fishing gizmos, gadgetry, and gimmickry. All right, and we'll just we'll talk about the hook and roll, and this is exciting uh, because it plays roll. into something we recently discussed on the show. That being lure retrievers. Remember this? It wasn't that long ago, and of we both I do. we both pretty much agreed that they suck. Like all those weights with the paper clip and the doodad and doohickey you slide down your line, uh, pretty much suck. Or at a minimum. Don't work every time or, you know, aren't incapable of becoming snagged themselves. Well, guess what? Forget the past because the hook and roll is the last lore retriever you're ever going to buy. And uh, for many of you, it would probably be the first lore retriever you ever bought. And after hearing this, none of you are going to buy it whether you had one or not already. Uh, so this popped up in my newsfeed from the website geekygadgets.com. Uh, and of course, like many of these things, all the info is pulled from Hook and Roll's Kickstarter campaign, which let me tell you, so far is not kickstarted very well at all. Uh, at the time of this recording, there were 35 backers, so they've, they've got a little way to go. And um, I, you, you've seen this video, right? So you know, you know what we're getting into here. What we have here, in my opinion, is a case of creating perceived value and performance simply by making something much more expensive. You know what I mean? And that's... That's a tactic that works, no doubt. Like if you're holding a like a three dollar broom and a thirty dollar broom at the store, most people are going to assume thirty dollar broom is better. Uh, let me tell you, it isn't. My garage floor is no cleaner. Uh, but anyway, big reveal here: the hook and roll does pretty much exactly the same thing as all the other lure retrievers that slide down your line and knock uh, the lure free of a snag, except instead of being lead like the peasants use, the knocker device is made of high grade aluminum and stainless steel. It's rectangular in shape. It clamps around your line and it's loaded with bearings so that it zips down your line very fast, creating zero friction, thus thwarting line chafing. Now, if the hook and roll doesn't knock the lure free, don't worry because it's tethered to a heavy duty braided line 
And that runs from the knocker device up to the hook and roll's own reel, which looks like a little tiny aluminum fly reel. Uh, but what that allows you to do is, is also wrench on the line to pull the lure free, or I guess, you know, bend the hooks out without using your rod and fishing line to do this, like we all do. And the entire contraption is, of course, made to be worn on the outside of your fishing vest with your leader straightener or knot tool or whatever else you got dangling there. And here's the thing. I'm curious to hear your, your, your opinion. I'm not saying this won't work, uh, but even this, it's not going to get every lure back all the time, and could this, this can get snagged too. Anything with a weight and a rope that you send in to the riprap, like, it might not come back too. I do like the dual-purpose knocker puller, but this product, they're asking $75, and that's steep. And if this were 10 bucks, I might bite. But I'd, I'd still either forget to bring the product fishing or just lose it in the garage with all the other retrievers. So I'm still out. Uh, but the best part of all this is the Kickstarter video. And what I gather is that this is made by a European company because they talk about meters and stuff instead of feet. But they're trying to make the video uber American. They have this so scruffy yeah, they have this scruffy dude that they've named Mike. It's very American, Mike. Um and I, he's supposed to be this sad bass fisherman that keeps losing lures, but the narration misses the mark. He's also he's also driving a Toyota Hilux, so that's kind of a dead giveaway. Uh, but and listen, did to you this, notice the license plate? I do, yeah, it's one of the long skinny ones. It's so also European. A, also a dead giveaway. But uh, listen to this intro clip. Meet Mike, the saddest guy on the water. Mike just sacrificed his favorite lure to the river lake gods. He had no say in the matter. Like, who are the river lake gods? Did you catch that in there? <laughs> I did. I did. Okay. Yes. They also they also flashed to a shot of Mike with a big largemouth that's clearly his European head photoshopped on Denny Brower's so body. So photoshopped. Yeah. It, but, but he's still a badass. Listen mm -hmm. to this. He drove here with a glad heart. An open road, and the music as loud as he damn well pleased. Glad-hearted. Who uses the term? That's some, <laughs> some Hansel and Gretel shit right there. Um, anyway, that's what I got the gizmo gadgets and gimmick file this week. Um, I don't know, man. 75 bucks buys a lot of Senkos, so no thank you. But what do you, what do you think? Dude, it's, it's, I don't know. You didn't scroll down far enough. 75 only gets you the basic model. If you oh, want that, a, <laughs> if you want that sweet real contraption that comes with it, you're talking $195. Whoa, wait a minute. I screwed up. So 75 bones only gets you what then? It gets you the retriever, a pack of lure clips, a really snazzy carrying case with Velcro strips, uh, an Allen wrench that they call a maintenance tool, full instructions, <laughs> and a carabiner for your vest. But how do you slide it down the line if there's no line connected to it? Here, here's another thing <laughs> I'll say. You didn't read this at all, did you? I know. It said, you have a bunch of gear for fishing, including the reels from your old rods. Cool. Then just grab this small but mighty retriever and use your old reels I to see. complete the set. You were more thorough than I was. Because another thing that crossed my mind, if you watch the video of the lure being retrieved, it's like, how do you do this by yourself? Because they've got one dude pulling mm -hmm. the rod tight and the other dude's sending it, which means you better also have a friend. So for like 50 extra bucks, they might be able to get you a friend as well. <laughs> I got to admit, man, I, I thought that this was pretty well done. And when I got 
down to the end of their marketing spiel, I was like, I'm going to sign up. They totally got me. <laughs> and then I dug deeper. I'm like, 200 bucks. Yeah. And then I kept going deeper. And like the next one offered is like, well, you might lose the retriever. So here's what it would cost for a set with a second retriever. And I'm like, wait, I thought the whole point of this was that you never lose it. All right, now I'm out. I was almost there. This is like a, what goes around comes around. It's like, a lot of these gimmicks are just revamped versions of shit that didn't work the first two times they came around. And I'm like, ah, we've come back around to lure retrievers. Like, that's one that hasn't been reinvented but yet. I so want I'll, them to work. I want yeah. someone to reinvent the lure retriever in a, in a, in a way that, that's functional and actually works. So I don't know. Maybe this is the one. I want it to be. And if it really did work, if it really did work, I would spend $200 on it. I would. It's. Uh, but really? I'm not convinced it will work. Yeah. If I knew I could get all my line and lures back off the bottom of the lake or river and not have to worry about it, yes. And not anger the river that. lake gods anymore? Correct. <laughs> if it was 75, I'd get it for Christmas, but not 200. I can't not swing 200. that. But nope. maybe you will get one, and uh, we'll we'll get to talk about that more later. Perhaps over a drink. Uh, that's what we're going to go get as soon as we hear from Phil this week to see who won. Um, hear from Phil? Then uh, go pony up to uh, That's My Bar. Miles Nolte, your story went deep, but uh, unfortunately I am a shallow person, so the winner this week is Joe Cermelli. <laughs> okay guys, I gotta come clean about something. One of the reasons I actually named Joe the winner this week was because I have put something together. It's something I've actually been working on for the last couple of weeks. I have not told you about it. Um, you've probably heard of this service this app, this website called Cameo, where, you know, you can pay C-list celebrities to record a little personalized video for you, 30 seconds long. Maybe they were A-list celebrities back in the day, but have, you know, just dropped a few letter grades over the years. It happens. Joe, I know you are a big Jaws fan. I think everyone knows this. I put something together. A friend from high school actually works for Cameo. I don't know how he got that job, but he got it. I've been working with him to kind of find a little loophole to put this together. You could say that I had to jump through some hoops to make this happen. Catching on yet? Joe, someone uh, has a little message for you. Never gonna give you up. Never gonna let you sucker. No, I did not get Richard Dreyfus to record a cameo for you, Joe. Um, Richard Dreyfus is on cameo. This is true. You can look it up. He has one of the steepest prices out of anyone I've ever seen on cameo. So for the, uh, you know, low, low price of $1,000, that's true. You can get a personalized video from Richard Dreyfus. If you don't want to fork out that kind of money, you can get the Kintner kid that was eaten by the shark for $35. So, Something to think about. Best goddamn bartender from Timbuktu to Portland, Maine. Or Portland, Oregon, for that matter. Lately, I gotta say, all of you out there, you, the listeners, you, you are getting back on point with the bar nominations. Yes, yes. Uh, Cheers we, to we're, you. We're, Round of applause. Yeah, for sure. We are greedy. And so we always want more, but I, I, I will say, I will give credit where credit's due. We've been getting some really good ones. And, and what I love about this is that I can see how this is, 
It's, it's slowly but surely achieving the goal that we had at the beginning of establishing the best fish bars across the world. Yep. So, so this week, we're headed to Maryland. And I'm I'm pretty sure we have not hit that state yet, so we can we can put another pin in the that's my bar map. Yeah, we can we can. And this nomination comes from listener Kirk Marks, who who wondered if I was familiar with this place, which I am not. However, I've been to plenty like it and and victimized at similar uh, spots. But I'll get I'll get to that later. I'll leave you hanging. Uh, to get right into it, Kirk writes: This bar is much more than just your typical fishing bar. If you're into rockfish chatter, stripers for you Jersey folk, okay, uh, local beers, watching newlyweds deface their wedding gowns, and boat handling that could only be suitable for the qualified captain feed, look no further than the Jetty Restaurant and Dock Bar in Kent Narrows, Maryland. So in case you missed it, rockfish, that's what they call them in Maryland. It is incorrect, but that's still what they call them. He goes on, as any Chesapeake angler would tell you, the Jetty has a reputation. Accessible by boat or car, the Jetty is a waterfront bar that offers pretty decent seafood and pub fare. But having some friends that used to work there, I got to say, I wouldn't recommend the oysters. I really appreciate that, Kirk, as a ravenous (laughs) consumer of raw bar edibles. And and having learned that the hard way, um, you know, you got to take it easy when there's a raw bar at the Chinese buffet. Found that out. Mm. It was difficult. Uh, there's a story. It's delicious that I, going down. You know what I mean. Story I don't want to hear way. there. That I'll, <laughs> moving away from that. I'm going to say th- thanks as well, Kirk, because that that truly is a hot tip. God knows when I see oysters on a beachside bar menu, <laughs> I order them. That is what I do. So I'm so. the guy that's like, keep them coming until <laughs> I say stop. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Kirk continues. Although I'm not certain of the name's origin. I assume it has something to do with the large concrete jetty about 150 yards away that mysteriously pops up right in front of drunken boaters every summer. (laughs) I waited tables at the neighboring fine dining restaurant for several years throughout my time in college. After a long shift already half buzzed from dehydration, the waitstaff would make our weekly pilgrimage to the jetty. Man, have I seen some shit there. (laughs) Several good bar fights, some stellar live music, a handful of boating accidents, and I've even had the pleasure of watching a classy wedding party whom I served a few hours earlier get shit-faced in a way only the jetty can deliver. I I will say that I do wish Kirk had expanded on that story. Yeah. But it's okay. I have a vivid imagination. I, I can pretty well see where that went. Yeah, we'll choose our own adventure there. Mm-hmm. Uh, fun fact, though, I usually get drunk enough at the actual wedding reception that I never make it to the after party. Mm. That's just something about me. Um, anyway, the nomination continues. I have a feeling most folks come for the location and the entertainment alone. Hell, one time as a young kid, I was fishing a spook from the dock and accidentally caught a seagull. I remember receiving evil glares as if catching that bird was my intention all along. Point being, there's never a dull moment at the jetty. And this is the part I personally sympathize with because there, there was a tiki bar right around the corner from where I slipped my, my old boat. And the fun was just sitting there watching people you know, try to pull into the dock for dock and yeah. dine. Mm-hmm. And I only ever did it once. One time, I just went straight there instead of going to my slip first, and I ended up like pinballing off a couple pilings. Mm. And like the whole bar like clapped and hooted, and I was like, that's it. From now on, I will just dock in my slip and get in the truck and drive over. So lesson learned there. 
I think that all seaside bars should have dock parking for exactly this reason. I don't need big screen TVs and, and, and sports when I can watch people making asses of themselves yep. trying to dock in front of a rowdy crowd. That's that, my friend, is real entertainment. We appreciate this one very much, Kirk. I'm always down for some solid people watching, and this sounds like the perfect place to do it. If you know a fishy bar where you can sit on my tie while watching people like Joe crash into the dock, <laughs> let us know where it's at by sending an email to bent at themeateater.com. You know, I looked it up, and the Jetty actually has excellent online reviews. Does it? It does. Uh, over 2,000 of them, in fact. But I think- really. Um, the fact that they serve, you know, stiff drinks waterside makes people a little more lenient. Here's a four-star review I found that just said, get some crushes, talk to the ducks, sit on the beach. Kitchen service was slow and orders came out wrong. Hey, on a beautiful day with a few drinks, it's not a problem. <laughs> That's not, not <laughs> what I expect. <laughs> it's, a, it's a perfect <laughs> review. But if that dude, ha if he had that experience at the Olive Garden Inland, it'd be a whole different. Review. Oh, he'd be, it'd be, yeah. a, it'd be one stars, and I'm pissed. It's that, <laughs> it's that old adage: location, location, location. Service might suck, the food might be all wrong, but you still get four stars. Yep, because exactly the stiff, and I see the water. I like it. <laughs> oh, that's smart. We're gonna close out the show with an end of the line about a traditional lure for targeting a species that used to be underrated, but I'd say has caught on with the, the the foodie crowd in the past decade or so, and it's it's no longer underrated. We're talking about delicious, delicious octopus. Fishy, 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 fishy! Well, that's not loud enough, Bert. When I was in middle school, our Hawaiian studies teacher assigned what I thought was going to be the greatest project of all time. We were each going to make a traditional octopus lure. I was ecstatic. Finally, homework that centered on fishing. I imagined myself not just building the lure, but catching an octopus on it. Maybe even bringing some in to share with the class. Then I got the materials list and realized we were going to make it out of toothpicks, chopsticks, and glue. Actual hooks were deemed too dangerous for classroom use, I suppose. The whole exercise felt representative of my frustrations with school in general. I had no opposition to learning. In fact, I relished new knowledge and skills, but we often received a pasteurized version of information. Everything was classroom convenient and safe, but it lacked direct application. Sure, I was going to make something that looked kind of like a traditional octopus lure, but I couldn't actually use it to catch octopus. So I failed to see the point, and I'm pretty sure I also failed that assignment I always hated arts and crafts. Hawaiian octopus or he'e lures haven't actually changed all that much since ancient times. They were first documented by Westerners in the mid-1800s, and the ones for sale today at local tackle shops and hardware stores across the islands remain surprisingly similar. A cowrie shell attached to a weight above one or more hooks. Native Hawaiians used rope fashioned from plant fibers to lash an elliptical stone sinker, a cowrie shell, and a bone hook to a six-inch wooden stick to create luhe'e. They would troll or jig the lures over pockets in the reef. Cowrie are a favorite food of octopus, and the lures would often tempt 
hungry cephalopods out of their holes. Hawaiian historian Samuel Kamakau described it this way. The handsome stone was husband to the cowrie, and the cowrie was married to the stone. When the two matched in beauty and they swayed in dance in the ocean, the he'e came to watch the joyful dance. Those of them who wished to kiss the cowrie leaped to embrace and kiss her because they were aroused by the dance. When the he'e took hold of the cowrie, the fisherman pulled up the cord swiftly with his right hand, grabbed it with his left, and pulled hard against the side of the canoe, which forced the hook into the he'e. Modern Hawaiian octopus lures have swapped out the wood and bone for metal and the stone for lead. Some still use cowrie shells, but others feel that's unnecessarily specific, claiming that a painted golf ball works just as well and is far more durable. Octopuses are pretty damn good at crushing shells, after all. Basically, though, the technology and technique remain the same. Most of the he'e lures I've seen for sale commercially also have 6-10 to 10 inch metal tines on the bottom, which allow anglers to drag them over rocks without getting hung up as often. When I was a kid, we occasionally spearfished for octopus, generally with very little success, but I've always been enthralled by the idea of catching one with a lure, which usually involves one of two techniques. The first is sometimes called drag shell, essentially just slow trolling an octopus lure over promising bottom and waiting for one to grab it. The second is more sight fishing than trolling. Anglers take canoes, kayaks, or even surfboards out to good spots and then snorkel at the surface, carefully studying the bottom. When they see an octopus or what looks like a promising hole, they'll jig a lure and try to entice the creature into grabbing it. One thing I do know from limited experience is that hooking or spearing octopus is just the beginning. The real trick is killing them quickly and safely. As most people know, octopuses have eight arms covered in powerful suction cups and they will grab, crawl, and yank hard at you to survive. They also have a nasty sharp beak where all those arms meet that can take serious divots out of your flesh and possibly sever a finger. Once you get hand-to-hand with one, you want to kill it quickly. The hardcores and traditionalists bite them between the eyes, crushing the brain almost instantly. I was never that much of a badass, instead using the Howley method of stabbing them in the same spot with a dive knife. Not nearly as cool, but definitely effective. I know some people turn the heads inside out, but uh, I personally recommend killing them first. Trying to turn a squirming and surprisingly powerful octopus inside out is not as easy as it looks on YouTube. I once read an essay called How to Kill an Octopus by Allison Wilkins, and one passage in particular has always stuck with me. An octopus can see light. They have great eyesight and sense of touch. Their suction cups have chemoreceptors that allow an octopus to taste what it is touching. Imagine for a moment that the octopus is wrapped around your arm, trying not to die. What do you taste like as you bob in the water with this creature and your weapon? What do you taste like as you kill it? This 
That is the end of our show this week. But if you're planning to write us a review on whichever streaming service you prefer and need a reference guide for all the fantastic dishes we served up, scorpion fish are better than salmon. Australian salmon aren't salmon and should never be smuggled like budgies. Nail polish does belong in your tackle bag after all, and octopus beaks can crush cowrie shells, golf balls, and your finger equally. True story. Please keep those bar nominations, sale bin items, awkward photos, fish news stories, and Dear John letters coming to bent at themeateater.com. Yeah, don't forget to drop our favorite hashtags, Degenerate Angler and Bent Podcast on the gram for the chance to win sticker prizes. And, uh, you know, go ahead and give us some good ratings on your favorite podcast service. Right now we're tied with the Jetty. I think we can do better. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.